Welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries RPG Podcast with John and Hannah. Hi. And today we're going to be answering some of your voicemails. And first up we have Randy from Biggest Geekers. Take it away, Randy. Um, just listened to your Vargueels uh, podcast and it was really good. They are horrific little... I really can't even... Wow. Wings and a head floating around, tentacles on it. Really pretty gruesome. It was funny when Hannah mentioned dragons. That came to my mind too. Dragons and giants. Wow, what a mess they could be. How dangerous could that be? Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm sending this message from my car, so I apologize if it's garbled. But uh, have you heard of the creature called? And I'm going off the cuff here. I was going to wait till I got home, but I was too excited. Love that episode. Love those creepy abyssal, tar- tartarus, carceri, whatever they might be creatures. Have you heard of the pen and gallon? That's from the Fiend Folio first edition, I believe. And I think they were almost vampire-like. And when they completely transformed, like they would bite a person and then their head would detach from the shoulders and the guts would come out with it and they would fly with wings. Uh, I should look that up, but I think that's what they're called, Penangalan or Penangalan, but they were pretty sick. Anyway, keep up the good work. I hope you got, glad you guys are feeling better. Uh, And uh, talk to you soon. Cheers, Randy. Great to hear from you again. Really glad you enjoyed the episode. Mm-hmm. And I sort of vaguely remember the Pengalan. I think I've maybe seen like an old anime movie that had a creature in it that was similar. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. But I know you've like used them in your games and stuff. Yeah, I mean the idea of uh, the Pengalan. I think it's originally from like Malaysian folklore, and it's basically a mortal woman who practices black magic. They do a ritual, obviously without going into all the details, that's a bit beyond the scope of this, but they do this ritual, and then effectively during the evening, their head detaches from their body, so you've just got like this hovering head with like a trail of slimy viscera and internal Mm -hmm. organs behind it, almost like a, a weird sort of tail. It flies around and like preys on people, particularly like pregnant women, stuff like that, and to get its nourishment. Then as it's getting to like daylight again, it basically heads back to where the body is which has just been like lying there inert like a headless corpse it crams all the internal organs back into the body pops the head back on it's then in control of the body again it gets up and it carries on working through the day as just a normal person and mm-hmm. I, I don't really recall them specifically for D&D I know they're in there but as far as I remember it's just sort of like a variant vampire in D&D but obviously the downside to a Pengallon depending on how you look at it, is during the day, because they're effectively a normal person during the day, they're protected by the body, they're not they're not sort of prey to a lot of the weaknesses that would get a traditional vampire. So mm-hmm. sunlight, no problem for a pangallon, because technically during the day it's it's not a pangallon, it's just a person. But as soon as you get to night, off comes the head, and off it goes. So yeah, I, I love, I'm, I'm with you Randy, I love all these sort of like crazy creatures, especially if they draw on sort of like folklore from places of the world that I'm I'm not familiar with. I enjoy sort of like delving into folklore and it helps me sort of like, if not visit, you know, sort of at least sort of get some idea of like a bit of the culture of these places. Mm-hmm. And I think it's always great to take inspiration from different places because much as we all love the old like orcs and elves and stuff like that, as we all know, 
after a little while your player characters have seen everything maybe they get a bit jaded you're suddenly pulling this like vampire out of malaysian folklore it gets them to like sit up and sort of take notice because they don't know exactly what this creature is so yeah i think bringing in exotic things like that can be really really interesting and it can certainly add a lot to your game and sort of enrich the background if you delve into the folklore a bit but as we say we're glad you enjoyed the episode dude and speaking of Biggest Geekers, next up we have Randy's partner in crime, Joe, who has kind of left us a voicemail. So take it away, Joe. Just listen to your Save or Die podcast, our Save or Die episode on your podcast. And I have to say, uh, you put another feather in the old school cap uh, with that 15 minute back in the game kind of uh, thing that you did, um, or the door described after a character death. And uh, that's... Um, very different from third and pathfinder, which I have more experience with. And it takes the sting out of um, a save or die or just a regular death uh, for that matter. If all it takes is 15 minutes to get back in the game, nothing stinks more than getting killed early on in the session and then just sitting there doing nothing. Um, Another thing that will uh, uh, pull me much closer to old school and away from the more modern games um, time investment and character and character generation is kind of, uh, I think one of the evils of modern game, mo- the modern games it takes too much time. I'd rather game anyway, a good job. And, um, I look forward to your next episode. Bye. Hey there, Joe. Glad you enjoyed the episode. I'm glad I've stuck another feather in my old school cap. So yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, I know there are people out there to whom the, the sort of character building and the character genning is an important part of their game. And that's absolutely fine. You know, if you enjoy building a character, that's great. Fill your boots, crack on. But for me, as it sounds with you, I'd far rather be playing the session and playing the character than agonising over, like, where I'm going to spend my last skill points or stuff like that. So for me, the way I sort of look at it is all of your character, all of the stuff that's on your sheet, that's all just, like, potential stuff until it actually comes up in the game. So mm-hmm. I can say, oh, I'm playing a barbarian with thews of steel, and I'm, I've got massive strength and stuff like that. But until I actually do something that demonstrates my strength in-game, that doesn't really matter. So what if I've got 18 strength written on my character sheet? If I never, like, bench-press a fool or, like, smash down a door or, like, get into a combat, what difference does it make? Same way as, like, if I'm the world's most charismatic bard in a game, but I never, like, sing a song or I never, like, I never try and, like, talk my way out of anything. It's just a number. It doesn't really matter. So, for me, the way I look at it is, once you're in the game and you're playing that character, you can then start to sort of expand and find your feet and work out how you're going to play that character through the stuff you actually do in the game. Whereas, yeah, okay, if you have like if you love the character genning, that can support and give you some idea of what you want to do in the game. But until you actually do it, it doesn't make a great deal of difference. And yeah, I'm fully with you on the fact that I'd hate for anyone to like lose a character in a game and then have to like, sit out for the rest of the session and do absolutely nothing. I know it can be a bit of a stinger when you lose a character, but I'd far rather the person was able to like bounce back, get a new character going that they can get excited about, jump back into the game and just crack on with having fun rather than having to sit there twiddling their fingers or agonising over what the next character is going to be. Have you got any thoughts on characters and stuff like that as per Joe's message? Well, I think it's more that 
the most important thing is when you're going into a game right you need to know how sort of deadly the game's going to be yeah because yeah. if you're expecting a long haul long campaign where not many people are likely to die you are going to get more invested in that character than you are in like a low level thug in a game where somebody dies every session and there's often a TPK. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, love. And I think obviously we made the point during the original episode when we were talking about save or die mechanics and stuff like that, where if we're going to, certainly myself, if I'm going to feature that sort of mechanic in the game, I just say to the player character like before the session, oh, you're going into the dangerous dark dungeon or things might get a bit a bit feisty down there, you know, you want to be a bit careful. And then the, the players by now, they know that sort of when I say that, they're like, oh, there's some like save or die <laughs> on down there, or there's some like feisty ass monster down there, we need to like be careful of ourselves. And obviously, I'm, like, as we said in the episode, I know that's a bit meta, because you know it's out of character knowledge and whatever. But you know what? <laughs> if it means everyone has more enjoyment, I can live with it. So thank you very much for your message, Joe. And speaking of Joe, we've got another Joe coming up. Double Joe Supreme. More Joe than your podcast has room for. We've now got a message from Joe Richter of the Hindsightless podcast. So take it away, Joe. Hey, what's up, Hannah? What's up, John? Awesome episode on Save or Die Mechanics. Uh, It's funny. I just was introduced to a 5e character sheet. Somebody statted out the rabbit from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. (laughs) It's a CR8 monster. And if it bites you, you have to make a con save or your head gets chopped off and you die. (laughs) So we were talking about the person I was looking at the sheet with. That'd be fun in a one shot. But if you were playing a longer campaign probably not so much because yeah i'm just not a fan of the whole idea of throwaway characters i don't i don't know to me that's just not all that exciting so i'm not a huge fan of saber die although i'm not opposed to them they they come up there's plenty of them in pathfinder and they do happen and it's always exciting when a saber die mechanic comes to the board and the players save and they don't die anyway great stuff i'm glad we're in agreement how about you, love? Yeah, I mean, and I think as we've as we've sort of seen from the two Joes, um, actually two Joes, that'd be an amazing name for a podcast. The two Joes um, messages, a lot of it does come down to like save or die. How long it's going to take you to create a character to get back into the game? Now, Joe Richter obviously plays all the Pathfinder, and I know he's like the man when it comes to Pathfinder character to sheets. He knows how to generate a Pathfinder character, so he can probably do it fairly quickly and get himself back into the game. So happy days, no problem there. Mm-hmm. I run OSR games; it takes you a few minutes to generate a character. So if you lose one, you can bounce back into the game fairly rapidly. So I don't find the, the mechanics too vexing. However, if I had to, like, if I did a save or die and my character died, and then I knew I'd got to spend like 25, 30 minutes generating another character before I could get back in, I don't think I'd be loving it so much. Yeah, whether it's Pathfinder or D&D, if you're having a lot of character death in your games, you probably want to tell your players about it in advance so they can have a backup character pre gen Yeah, it's all about setting expectations currently, mm-hmm. isn't it? But, um, yeah, like I like say, I mean, I think your mileage can vary depending on what game you're playing and sort of how long it takes to get back into it. Now, to be honest, for me, 
because I I know a lot of people aren't keen on the like old school like purely random like character method, but for me I actually quite like that because I think it's like it gives me a challenge, you know. Because I'll happily play like pretty much any class in old D and D. So there's um there's a website I'll try and find the link to it and put it in the description where you can just literally like refresh the website and it's like here's a first level basic D and D character. And I've used that when I was playing Cody Mazler's Baromaze game. If I lost a player character, I had that queued up ready so I could literally be like, F5, refresh, boom, there is my new character, and I could be straight back into it. And I'd be happy with that because, like I said, I'll happily play any class and I see it as a bit of a challenge. Whereas maybe if you're someone who likes to more sort of tune their sort of characters more towards a specific idea that wouldn't really rock your world but anyway thank you very much for the message joe greatly received and next up we have a message from jason of the nerds rpg variety cast take it away jason hey john and hannah jason here the vargil so you know you're batwing kids if i'm saying it wrong there's no excuse for 5e not to have given plenty of text in there for them to duplicate text is just laziness there's so much cool stuff you could write about these things and things you could put in there there's, yeah, you, you should have no problem filling two pages full of stuff for this. Really cool monster. And, y- you know, I wouldn't even ask. To me, if you had a, a dragon head Vargil, of course it's going to breathe fire or frost or whatever, right? I would be very disappointed if that dragon head didn't breathe. Mind you, if I see a skeletal dragon, I'm going to expect that skeletal dragon to breathe too, just because, well, it's a dragon. Of course it breathes, right? I mean, it's a fantasy game. Come on. Anyhow, great job. Talk to you soon. Cheers for the message, Jason. And I absolutely agree. If you're going to put a dragon head Vargoyle in your game, it's got to have some dragon stuff along with it. It's got to be a lot more badass than a normal one. Yeah, I mean, I I pretty much like 99% agree with you both. I would say the only possible reason why you might have it without that is if you wanted to do the old like bait and switch slash like double bluff when you play characters, where you know you wanted to like send a, a, ostensibly a lower level sort of creature out because obviously a vargoyle with with like a breath weapon would be considerably tougher than your average vargoyle. But um, if you wanted to sort of send out a low level one, but have them being like. It's a dragon head. It's gonna breathe fire runners, and then like it doesn't. You could do it in that way, you know, to have that sort of like bait and switch. But obviously, you've then got to sort of deal with the fact it might be like a slightly anticlimactic sort of disappointment. I don't know. See, it, why would you use a dragon head unless you wanted to give it a dragon breath weapon or? dragon level intelligence and that's the only time I can see it's justifiable to not give it the breath weapon Yeah, if it's going to be like dragon level intelligence and maybe some dragon spells of other types I mean like I say the only, the only reason I can think of you wouldn't give it a breath weapon is if you wanted it to be a lower level monster but you still wanted it to intimidate the player characters even then, though, I think you've got to telegraph the fact that it hasn't got a breath weapon yes. by having it spend a turn trying to use its breath weapon and maybe describe what that looks like. And, I mean, maybe if it's got, like, an acid attack, instead of the acid spitting out of its mouth, it just dribbles out the bottom of the neck. Yeah, I mean... Which is less useful to it, but still gives you, like, something 
in-game to yeah, have to deal with in addition it, yeah. in the combat. Oh yeah, I mean, if I if I was going to use it in the sort of like the as the bluff, and it didn't have the breath weapon, I'd have it like fly towards them on the first turn. You can have your first round of sort of like chuckling behind your gem screen, where the players are like, "Oh, it's going to breathe fire on us," but then like obviously like a round or two after that, when it's not done so, the player characters will pretty quickly work out it doesn't have a breath weapon, but they still get to feel like badasses because they've defeated this ostensibly draconic thing but they can probably do so at a much lower level than mm-hmm. they would if it was like blasting out flames and frost and poison and whatever everywhere. But yeah, that's the only like reason I can really think to not have a breath weapon, because let's face it, it'd be cool with a breath weapon. And to be honest, if I was going to have it without a breath weapon, I'd have a lot of Argyle rock up, they're like, maybe the players get a bit cocky, they're like, oh, we'll be, that's got any breath weapon. Then I'd have like an actual dragon charm, <laughs> like with a breath weapon. Or... Maybe you have, like, one Vargoyle that's got sort of, like, a bit of, like... I know this isn't sort of, like, how it goes in the books, but maybe you've got a Vargoyle that's got some of its organs intact, you know, maybe a bit like the Pengallon that uh, Joe was mm-hmm. talking about earlier. And if the player characters pick up on that, you're like, oh, it's got, like, its esophagus and its stomach and whatever, and it's, like, glands and whatever attached to the bottom of the head training behind it. Maybe if a smart player will be like, Oh, that might mean it's got the breath weapon, and that rewards the player being smart for noticing that mm-hmm. the first one we thought was just a head. This one's got other bits on it, so you could do it like that. I suppose that's a bit more of a sort of puzzle monster sort of thing. But yeah, by and large, I'll slap a breath weapon on that sucker. <laughs> and to round things off, we've got another message from Jason. Hey, John and Hannah, save or die. John was there for my favorite save or die story, or should I say? no save and die story we were playing the black hack very first session that dave autotran and we were in his wizard's tower and he cast a spell making the so half of the like half of this level of tower was gone and but there's a spell cast that we all i guess failed our save on or never had a chance to save against and it made it look like there was floor where there wasn't floor so my character strode out there and you know dave promptly announced that, well, I fell to my death. Luckily, someone, I believe Colin, asked if he could grab my character before I fell to to my death, and he let him do a deck save. So there was a save involved, and I didn't die, but I didn't get to make that save. So, I'm chuckling because I got to see John's face while you were describing that, and it was glorious. I think we can probably all agree that if you're going to put a deadly trap into a game, then you kind of have to at least allow a save or die. You can't just say, oh, that trap auto-killed you. It, yeah. It's just not on. Yeah, and I mean, as you can hear as, as we're recording this, even our cat agrees with us. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I do vaguely recall that session, Jason. And, yeah, I, I found the whole sort of, like, oh, you've, ste- you've stepped out onto this illusion... You insta-plummet to your death. I've got to admit, I wasn't massively taken with that idea, to be honest. I mean, we've been talking about save-or-die mechanics, and we've been saying that, like, oh, just one rolls, you know, can sometimes be a bit, like, dicey, but not even allowing a roll. And as you said Mm -hmm. when you were talking about it there, you, well, Colin got a roll because he tried to grab you, but if he hadn't been nearby, that would have just been like, you're done, son. (laughs) You're out, no roll, do not pass go, do not collect 200 gold pieces. Then, 
I just think that had have been a bit of a way to die, to be perfectly honest. And mm-hmm. beyond the GM getting like a bit of a chuckle about it and be like, oh, oh what? Aren't I so old school and sort of like ultra hardcore with like the death traps? It didn't really add a lot to a game. I mean, I don't really remember anyone sort of going like, oh, do you remember that session we were in where there was the illusionary floor and someone nearly insta fell to the death? How cool was that? I just don't remember it happening. Yeah, see, when you're saying like old school, hardcore, what yeah. I'm hearing is I'm a GM who thinks that the role of the GM is to beat the players. Mm. That's not what you're there for. No. I mean, or it shouldn't be. No, I mean, I, I'm not a big fan of the sort of the, the GM sort of adversarial relationship with players. I mean, I think at worst, I'm I'm a neutral arbiter of like the world. So I'm there to represent the world. You do dumb stuff, dumb stuff will happen. You know, that's just the way it is. However, I don't deliberately set stuff out to like try and kill you. Now, mm-hmm. if you're like, oh, there's a cliff edge there, I'm going to walk over it. Yeah, you're going to fall to your death. Because that's, that's a dumb thing. But I wouldn't auto-set up a trap that was going to kill you because I'm like, where's the fun in that, really? You don't even get a chance to avoid it with your skills, your saves, whatever. And even if we were even if we were doing all the sort of, like, you know, tapping around with 10-foot poles and all that, you could still work out ways to put, like, insta-death traps in. But they don't really do anything for me. So if I think save or die can sometimes be a bit dicey, I'm pretty damn sure insta-death's beyond dicey it's gone beyond dicey beyond spicy and it's just gone into like utter territory so that's all of our calls for this evening thank you very much to jason for our last call we hope you've enjoyed the episode if you'd like to get in touch with us maybe feature in a future episode yourself you can do so in a few ways you can leave us a voicemail message using the speakpipe website there's a link to that down below If you have trouble with that, we still have our old Anchor account open. Again, link down below where you can leave a short voicemail message. Or you could send us an email to rddrpgpodcast at gmail.com. And until we speak to you again, take care, stay safe, and happy gaming. Bye.